Welcome to Made in Asia, the podcast about entrepreneurs and creators in the experience and transformation economies in Asia. In this fifth episode, we talk to Rohit Dugar, the founder of Young Master Ales Brewery. Rohit doesn't strike you as a typical investment banker, and that's maybe the reason why he turned his back on a famous Wall Street bank after he moved to Hong Kong and set out to start a craft brewery. Over the last eight years, Rohit has achieved a lot. He's opened five restaurants and conducted dozens of beer recipes. Having grown up to 90 employees, he covers three markets. Rohit has a great sense for innovation and makes it always playful, true to the craft of his trade. Learn in this podcast about his view on growth, innovation, and how he charted his path in the industry. Okay. Hi, guys, everyone. Welcome back to this episode of Made in Asia, the podcast about entrepreneurs and creators in the experience and transformation economies in Asia. Today, very honored to be here with um, Rohit Dugar. He's the founder of Young Master uh, Ales. It's a brew house. That's right. It's, a, it's a craft brewery. Craft brewery. Uh, was it the first one, really? Um, there's debate about if it was the first one. The first one to still be around, basically, right? Well, uh, it was first of what I would describe as uh, the current wave. Uh, so when we were when we opened back in 2013, for for a period of time, we were the only ones. Okay. But in the past, we Hong Kong has had several you know startups as well, which opened and shut down. Okay, that sounds a bit tragic. Um, what went wrong for them? I mean, you're still around, so you're doing well. I think uh, part of it is sort of a broader thing. I, if you look at the history of uh, small scale beer production. Um, and of course, you have to narrow this down because beer is a 10,000-year-old beverage. So narrow it down to, let's say, the last century. Um, the first wave, people use the term microbreweries. Uh, this was kind of in the you know late 80s to 90s time frame and lots of small breweries, majority of them kind of uh, yeah, in a restaurant, like you know, they would serve beer at their own restaurant restaurant. Um, uh, you know, that was kind of the trend, and, and Hong Kong had uh, something similar as part of that trend as well. Um, and then I think uh, for a long time, um, you know, that trend globally essentially kind of died down. It failed to scale and gain critical mass. They never stepped outside their production base. They always yeah, restaurant base. Few did, but, you know, and, and this, this was global. Um, and also I think a lot of it was more about... Uh, not so much kind of uh, original kind of creating things from scratch. A lot of it tended to be like, you know, uh, let's do something that's better than mass-produced beer, but follow, for instance, a template of, uh, say, German beer styles or English beer styles or, you know, uh, something that's kind of a very classical set of styles. Um, And that did not... Uh, in my opinion, do enough to capture people's imagination as as something that's truly unique and uh, and uh, you know and original. Which I think the newest uh, wave of craft beer uh, more or less started from the U.S. probably twenty twenty five years ago. Uh, Sierra Nevada, Sierra Nevada, and you know uh, is is kind of uh, one of the OGs. Uh, and, and many similar breweries that kind of blazed a new trail, started doing things completely differently. Right. Uh, and that sparked uh, a much more sort of, uh, you know, that created a bit of a critical mass of following. 
uh, and uh, you know and, and people like us you know breweries like us are benefiting uh, from that as well that it it showed uh, kind of the path that you have to you know have a point of view and express it a new it. way like organic yeah. wines or something like that of late so when did it catch on with you? I mean, um, were you always a beer fan or did uh, you have a moment where I read about, uh, yeah. was it Evelyn Locke from uh, Lifestyle? Right. She wrote a great piece about yeah. it. She wrote about a moment you had in New York, but anything yeah. before where you an avid beer drinker? No, absolutely. I used to like flavorful uh, things, including beer. Uh, and I would seek out more flavorful beer, but I don't think I got into it enough to study it uh, until I moved to the States. Um I used to live in Singapore before I moved to States um, and, uh, you know, initially lived in New Hampshire and was exposed to some of the local breweries there uh, and that opened my mind and, and I started to kind of research uh, So from a Tiger more. Beer, you kind of stepped it up a little bit. Yeah, you, uh, although I would say in, in Singapore too, there were some kind of uh, the sort of 80s, 90s style microbreweries. I mm. used to frequent them and they used to have some options that weren't, right you know, just Tiger. Clarky area opposite. Yeah, so so Brewworks was Brewworks, one I remember yeah. at that time, um, and uh, and there were some bars that used to like specialize in English ales, mm -hmm. uh, and there were a couple of bars that specialized in Belgian beers. So I would go to those places, but that was the extent of it. There wasn't anything uh, uh, groundbreaking in the sense modern craft beer is, uh, but but you know at least I would seek out you know, whatever was available to me at that time. Better stuff. Yeah. yeah. So you moved to Hong Kong as a banker. And at one point you threw in the towel on these guys and you were <laughs> like, you took a big step forward, right? And again, Evelyn wrote about that in detail. It's a great story. So um, what was your thought when you said, were you just thirsty or <laughs> what, what, what got you into this? I mean, what was your yeah, was you know, opening in the market? What? Uh, uh, I mean, some some of all, of all of the above, right? You know, initially, if you're in a, uh, you know, in a profession like banking, you kind of start, uh, well, first of all, there has to be an initial spark. Clearly, there was, you know, it, uh, having moved here from the States, I felt like the craft beer category all over Asia is basically non-existent. And somebody needs to and somebody will eventually do something about it. So that was kind of the initial spark. And then it was kind of studying uh, sort of the local rules and regulations a little bit more. And it felt like, you know, maybe it's somewhat possible to at least try it out. Uh, and then, you know, if you work in something like finance, you start to do all kinds of analysis. Uh, but, you know, a little known secret about analysis is, um, or, or a well-known secret about analysis, I guess, is, is that you can make the models prove whatever you want them to prove. Um, so ultimately, it, it wasn't, it, it wasn't about, uh, a, a deeply scientific calculated kind of uh, thing. Ultimately, it's just binary. Either you do it or you don't. Uh, and the clinching thing uh, for us, for my wife and I at that time was, you know, when else are we going to take a risk like this in our lives? We didn't have kids at the time. Um, and it was kind of this idea, that notion that we would regret it if we don't uh, do this. So it was at least worth a shot. Let's say we, we told ourselves, we'll give it a year. If it fails, you know, and whatever, we learn a lesson, yeah. we, we go back to finding a job or whatever. So what was your first priority when you when you got in there? Were you thinking about, okay, let's get some recipes going? Did you, 
I mean, where where do you start when you say? Yeah, so so that's of, kind sorry, of. Sorry, a lot of yeah, people start sort yeah. of in their bathtub or in their, you know, yeah. sort of these home kits. Is that? Yeah. Or did yeah. you go in with a big scale? Or? No, definitely home brewing was how I started. Yeah. Uh, and uh, while you were still working, or was that? Yes, yes, okay. for sure. Yeah, so home brewing, uh, you know, trying out hop, uh, you know, recipes, learning more and more, uh, you know, and and. Initially, when I first moved to Hong Kong, there wasn't really a homebrew scene. You couldn't find ingredients. Mm. Uh, but then uh, nine months after I moved to Hong Kong, somebody, uh, a guy named Chris Wong, started a homebrew store called HK Brewcraft. And slowly, some of the guys uh, started uh, companies that imported some American or European craft beer. So slowly, the scene, uh, I mean, the early seeds of, uh, of a scene were sown back then. Um and a uh, few of us, there were probably, you know, maybe uh, 15 to 20 of us who were homebrewers who found our, each other through the internet. We would meet and we would exchange our homebrews and talk about it. So, yeah, that was kind of, um, you know, sort of uh, how early concept and early ideas about uh, what kind of beers we want to make mm. and what is our point of view started to take shape. And how many beers did you produce bat- batches before you were yeah. like, I think we got something here, this is... Yeah, so I think that's that was a, a big, st- steep learning curve for me. And I think uh, I'm not the only one. Many homebrewers around the world have made kind of this uh, transition from being a homebrewer to professional brewer. Uh, you kind of realize that, uh, you know, it's not simply a matter of taking a recipe and multiplying it by a factor. Uh, and then suddenly you have... It's not kind scalable. Of, it, it, yeah, so you need... Idea. So that first step of scaling... Uh, from homebrew level to commercial scale is uh, is is a huge learning curve. Um, so I think, and, and there's a lot of things involved in there. You have to figure out process, you have to figure out repeatability, things you don't really need to think about as a homebrewer. Okay. Um, you need to think about equipment and automation and all, all kinds of things. Um, so, you know, uh, I started to do work, started to talk to a lot of vendors of, uh, you know, beer equipment um just people in the industry through the internet just kind of reading forums and trying to educate myself uh and then eventually i met some professional brewers as well who've been who had been doing it for like uh, decades and eventually decided to work with one such individual a guy named uli so he was uh kind of uh you know our first uh team member uh who joined us and kind of uh together we I had uh, by then at least a reasonably firm idea of kind of five to ten uh, initial beers that I wanted to make um, and, you know, some kind of rough recipes and, and so on and concepts. Do you need five to ten? Is that a good number? Or no. Or was that uh, just your... You your can start with one. You can start with more than that number. I think uh, uh, my thought process at that time was, uh, you know, the whole category doesn't exist. And uh, most people familiar with beer, even beer drinkers, uh, you know, in in sort of a couple of generations uh, past have thought of beer as like either it's kind of a yellow fizzy lager thing or maybe there's a stout. uh, And maybe in Belgium they make some somewhat different beers. and, And that's kind of the extent of it. But beer has hundreds of traditional styles and brewers can kind of take that and the permutations and combinations are endless. So uh, I felt like it's almost a responsibility that we need to showcase a set of styles, showcase what beer can possibly be. uh, And at the same time, also showcase 
better execution of a classic style. So okay. that's kind of how we thought about the first five to 10, that we need a mix of different things. We need to do kind of something as classic as a pale ale and an IPA. Um, and we created new concepts like, you know, a beer made with buckwheat and matcha, mm. um, you know, and, and the idea of very strong beers, uh, you know, stronger than most wines that are aged in spirits barrels. So all those kinds of things. So I wanted to make sure we, we showcase at least a good set. We, we couldn't possibly do everything, obviously, but, you know, wanted to make sure we could do at least a set of styles that were, um, you know, that, that was kind of a starting point for people to learn about beer. Very good. So here with Alvis, by the way, Alvis is in Candy Town. In the, we'll talk about how, how that came about in a minute. But so uh, Kingston just brought in a, a brew of yours. Uh, what do we have here? Well, let me taste it. This is um, a clean classic Pilsner mm. made with 100% malt. It's our lager beer, essentially. I'm assuming you have the same thing. It Should looks be, like yep. it is. Um, it's, um, you know, um, so, so this is another example of a traditional classic style made with better ingredients, made with, uh, you know, no artificial sort of, uh, additives, uh, unfiltered, unpasteurized product with sort of live yeast in it. Mm. So I think, um, and, and the style itself is relatively subtle. It's not kind of in-your-face beer like, you know, for instance, this one, which is a yeah. bourbon barrel-aged imperial Not stout. as bitter as many pilsas uh, as well. Uh, right? uh, not, uh, so it's, so yeah, in that sense, it's a different hop choice. Mm. We, we use some modern American hops instead of traditional Czech-style hops that okay. uh, that an old-school pilsner would do. And the other thing is it's extremely fresh. Mm. Uh, so, you know, if, if you have a beer brewed in Europe, however good it might be, if it has to travel halfway around the world, and it's months old by the time it gets mm. here uh, in the best case scenario. Sat in the sun for a while yeah, and all it's that. It's never going to have that freshness and that mouthfeel yeah. that, uh, that a beer brewed, you know. As a, as a German Pilsner drinker, I can yeah. attest this is a, a very fresh delight. Yeah. So, yeah, um, I think to this day we kind of uh, keep that experimentation going. That's your DNA, so to speak. That's what you uh, are. That's what Young so. Master is all about. Yeah. Uh, I mean, our team has grown. Uh, we started with two of us. Now, um, you know, in the broader group, we have 90 people probably. Uh, but in the brewing team, we have uh, almost 10 people. Um, and a good number of them uh, come from home brewing backgrounds like, like me. So, um, so in home brewing, it's always about experimentation. It's always about doing new things so that's uh you know just ingrained into everybody because that's kind of the background everybody comes from and and you'll keep that going and and you but you stick to your old classics so to speak that you'll keep alive yeah so so i think uh uh, there's like a dynamic process of deciding what's a classic as well i think uh, i'll give you one example of it uh there's a beer we do called tatantang goza it's a salted lime sour yeah so this this uh, started as a one-off experimental beer that we made, like, you know, one batch, and when it's gone, it's gone, and mm. we do lots of such beers. But demand was strong, so we brewed a second batch and third batch, and then it we realized that, you know, this is, it's, the, the idea of this is very simple, in if you think about it. It is inspired by a local drink, 
uh, people drink in local coffee shops, such and things, uh, which is essentially they, they mix in like Sprite or Seven Up with this salt cured lime. Yeah. So it has it's refreshing. It is uh, salty, minerally, uh, and it has like a refreshing acidity to it. Uh, and we thought of uh, a, an old school traditional beer style, which at that time it, it's made a bit of a revival now, but at that time was kind of forgotten. Uh, called Goza, ancient German beer style, actually, um, which is also sour and salty. We thought pairing these two old ideas together to create something new uh, makes a lot of sense. It's it's still rooted in tried and tested flavor combinations. Mm. And, uh, you know, uh, the the feeling of drinking this on a hot day is is something that's kind of in these two very distinct drinks from two different distinct cultures, the what you feel at the end of uh, having a sip is similar. So they kind of belong together is what we thought. Right. Uh, so I think that, uh, you know, in our minds made a lot of sense, but it was even more satisfying to see the strong response. So now it's a year-round beer. Uh, we bottle it. It's in, you know, lots of supermarkets in Hong Kong. It's almost become a flagship. So I think... Uh, we are not limited in saying only something like a Pilsner or a slight twist on a Pilsner or a Pale Ale uh, or an IPA uh, or a Stout are the only kind of uh, kinds of styles that can be, be like classics. Uh, things like this uh, we see as new classics and hopefully over the next, uh, uh, in the future, we'll come up with more such classics as well. Right. Uh, it, and the only way we come come up with these things is by constantly experimenting uh you don't do it necessarily by design you do it uh because it happens organically so how many new recipes do you have going at any time five ten or so, smaller batch i mean you make yeah so i think so now we have two breweries we started with a very small brewery seven years ago uh and then we opened a second brewery uh about four years ago uh the bigger brewery uh, is larger batch. That's where we make kind of our higher volume beers, including the Goza and the Pilsner and for retail you know, sale. Yeah, okay. yeah the, the higher volume uh, and the smaller brewery uh, has become kind of a one-off lab workshop, lab workshop type of thing. That's fun. So I think on average we have a new beer coming every two to three weeks. Uh, so you know, uh, in a in a year we probably release maybe twenty something new beers. Okay. Um, maybe more if you include kind of crossovers and other things we do with okay. other breweries and so and on. And have you gotten your failure rate has reduced or are you still widely experimenting and, and it's embraced too? No, I, uh, no I, think our, uh, our, um, I, I think our experimentation rate is, is very high still. Um, it's, uh, and it's, it's probably not going to change. I think we are, uh, we'd like to be able to do even more, uh, especially as we kind of expand in, in other geographies. And we started as a Hong Kong brewery, and now we see ourselves as sort of, a, you know, uh, we want uh, to play a part in, in defining the future of Asian craft beer. Mm. So we are in Southeast Asia, we are in mainland China, uh, and, uh, and we want to belong there and be as local in some of these markets as we are here. That means more experimentation. That means more you know, uh, inspiration from all of these places as Absolutely. well that we can incorporate. And so uh, for those who are not too familiar, Young Masters started in Hong Kong, as you said now, we'll talk about distribution first. Yeah. At what point 
because um, we talk about recipe and a good beer. That's the that's the fun part, right? But you need to sell this stuff too. So yeah. you famously set up the Ill uh, project. Yes. In uh, Jordan, Mong in Mong Kok, Mong Kok. And that was already seven, six years ago, right? Six That's years fairly now. Fairly early in the process. Yeah. When did it spark to you? You're like, yeah. crap, I need to start. Like, I mean, first of all, why? And then yeah. when did the spark come? The distribution is actually a big part of the business. Yeah, so I think uh, I would actually use, at least back then, maybe distribution is a word we'll use, uh, like, you know, to talk more about today's challenges. Back then... Uh, the biggest challenge in Hong Kong was education. How do we even get people to try, let alone, you know, you know, them being repeat buyers or loyal customers? How do we even get them to access and try? Um, so I think uh, before we started the brewery, uh, my initial thought process was maybe we'll need a small kind of a tap room or something like that where we can showcase uh, people can find us and at least try our beers. Uh, but then I think, you know, this uh, going back to something I was talking about earlier, around that time, some of um, that ecosystem started to build a little bit. Uh, a couple of tap rooms opened mm. uh, that were focused on craft beer. Some imported craft started to come in. So I felt maybe it's not so important. So we, we didn't do it day one. But soon after that, within a few months, uh, and back then we used to do like, we still do brewery tours once a week. And we used to get people uh, who would find us on the internet and, and come to these tours from, uh, you know, all over Hong Kong. And uh, at that time, we had started selling at maybe, let's say, a dozen locations. Uh, but they were, you know, mostly kind of on the Hong Kong Island side, maybe one or two on the Kowloon side uh, in TST, but mostly central Wan Chai neighborhoods like that. Uh, but people would ask, you know, uh, I live in Mong Kok or I live in, you know, Tai Kok Choi right. or all these neighborhoods, where do I find your beer? And I had no answer for them. And uh, walking around these neighborhoods, I felt like there's no place where we could even sell our beers to. They wouldn't know how to take care of it. And What a blue girl territory in that. So uh, Yeah, at, at that time, obviously it's yeah, transformed yeah. now. But yeah, at that time it was just impossible. So so only, but we knew that there is end consumer demand, but the gatekeepers in the middle, the bars, restaurants, retail shops, didn't have a clue that there is, you know, end user demand for uh, this and stuff. And their contracts are also pretty restricted yes, by what yes. they can. Yeah. Yes, I mean, I mean, they still are, and that's a that's another problem. But even that aside, even if like you know, let's say there's an independent coffee shop or something like that, but they were not familiar with the idea of craft beer. So the only way to break this deadlock, we thought, was to let's do a small shop of our own. Let's do it in a neighborhood like Mongkok, where it's probably the hardest. It will take a long time for our beers to penetrate. How did it work out? Uh, it, it worked out great. You know, we, we kind of, uh, a few of us got together and uh, built this place basically by hand. Um, we spent whatever resources we had on building uh, kind of the best draft system and a cold room to keep all the beers to make sure it's they're poured the, the best possible way. But everything was very bare. It was a dive bar and it was like very bare and minimal. Um, and uh, from day one, it, it, it formed a cult following almost. Uh, and to this day, I think it remains probably the geekiest beer bar in Hong Kong uh, and attracts kind of the, the most sort of uh, loyal 
uh, discerning crowd that really understands their beer. Yeah. Uh, so we're very proud of that project. Uh, you know, recently, uh, six years, our lease finished and a landlord wanted to increase our rent by 50%. All the uh, Hong Kong story. Yeah. yeah, in the middle of COVID. But, you know, so that was very disappointing. But then, at the you know, I guess, uh, uh, as luck would have it, uh, a spot became available two doors down. So we really had a downtime of about a month and we reopened just literally two doors down, almost identical size and everything else. So, so you know, Hakpo Street, Mongkok will continue to have tap for, okay. for a long time. Good. Hopefully it's a long lease. Yeah, three plus three or something like that. Uh, it's, uh, I think this time it's uh, it's six plus three or something. So okay. we should be... Beautiful. Okay, guys, check it out. The uh, project in, uh, in Mongkok. So... Obviously, you didn't stop there, right? One was not enough. Yeah. So, so when did this kind of think, dawn on yeah. you that you had to like push harder? On? I mean, initially it was all organic. I mean, now our plans are a bit different, and we are more deliberate about it. Back yeah, because Shenzhen was, and Singapore, right, yeah. they came later. But. So, so you know, uh, so after the success of Tap, we thought, uh, you know, let's open, let's find another neighborhood where we can introduce this idea, and we uh, uh, found an opportunity in Taihang near Causeway Bay. Uh, there was new development and uh, we thought, you know, we had a real opportunity to be like an anchor f- place for this neighborhood. Uh, and it was a bigger space. We could do more with food. We partnered with Chef Mei Chow to kind of do elevated sort of modern Cantonese inspired gastropub food. Um, and uh, we went crazy with kind of the beer pouring uh, setup. We, uh, to this day, it's the only place in Hong Kong that has three different cold storage areas to serve different <laughs> kinds of beers at three different temperatures, which takes up a lot of space and space course, in, in Hong, Hong Kong. Kong yeah. But, you know, that's what we do. So we sort of paid a lot of, uh, you know, uh, spent a lot of resources on it. And and that, uh, I think, um, we are very proud of that project. It's, uh, uh, it's elevated the idea of craft beer and craft beer food pairing and, uh, crea- you know, created a uh, interesting new neighborhood that's spot. That's 1842, is that? Uh, no, no, that's called Second Draft. Oh, Second Draft, yeah. okay. Then you have another one. Uh, so so after it kept s- growing, basically, yes. right? After Second Draft, we went to this neighborhood, then Aldi's. Okay. Um, and uh, I lived in New York before coming to Hong Kong, and I sometimes miss this vibe of this sort of, uh, you know, bars kind of uh, in the city that are like, you know, sort of elevated dive bars that are really comfortable. Mm. Um and I wanted kind of that some to experience that New York vibe, but in, incorporate sort of uh, have a sense of place that we are here in Hong Kong, infuse some of the elements uh, of the city, uh, obviously have our beers. So, so we decided to come up with, with this place. Okay. Um, and uh, so we sort of uh, went back to New York, ate a lot of pizza, drank a lot of beer, <laughs> decided uh, we invented, we kind of designed our own style of pizza, which is neither Neapolitan nor is it New York slice. It's it, but it has elements of both. Um, and we uh, we again like with beer, we do some of the classic pizzas. You know, we do an old school sort of ala vodka sauce pizza, which is very vintage New York, mm. not not Italian New York, Italian. Uh, but at the same time, we do a pizza with chasu and. Uh, and a ginger scallion dressing. We do a mala pizza, which comes with a mountain of, you know, chilies Chili, okay. and 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 peppercorns and stuff on top. So we, uh, so we decided, yes, so 
created this quirky neighborhood pizza place and um um yeah and, and kind of uh, kept going with the tap rooms and singapore opened and mainland china and yeah. Shenzhen, right? yeah. yeah so how is it different doing business since we got made in asia we got to talk yeah. about singapore and yeah. Shenzhen. so big learning curve or where i mean yeah for sure and we're still learning obviously every day you I went to singapore first singapore first okay. and i think um uh singapore is uh, doing business there was more similar to mm. hong kong as as you might expect um and i it's you know it's a cosmopolitan city and um uh i had lived i've lived in singapore as well so in that sense it was quite familiar as well i went to college in singapore uh so uh so it was in some sense of familiar territory um so yeah uh and you know ease of setup was everything was straightforward taxation on beer is very high there that's probably the biggest uh challenge we face for authorities listening please lower the tax <laughs> in singapore there yeah but uh, so you're shipping it from here right yes everything is still made in hong kong okay. and and it's uh, shipped there and um and and this was you know uh, a big concern initially but then uh, you know singapore infrastructure is incredibly good uh we the beer is freshly packaged here let's say on day 1 day 6 it's in bars in singapore and it's 100% cold the entire time to the bar uh the cold chain infrastructure everything is uh you know works so well that you know there could actually be times we realize that there could be a batch of beer let's say that got ready and got packaged and day 6 it's in a bar in singapore sometimes it might not make it to certain bars in hong kong in days of by day 6 it might be day 9 or 10 so i think uh, it's almost seamless freshness wise mainland china is is different obviously but uh, but singapore in in that sense back in operations wise uh, was very smooth This is the end of the first part of our fifth episode with Rohit Dugar, founder of Young Master Ales Brewery. You can also find us on our YouTube channel or on Instagram, Made in Asia the podcast. Our website is made-in.asia. Thanks and please stick around for part two.